In this episode of the David Watson podcast, I'm talking to Lindsay again, and this one was an incredible podcast because Lindsay spoke very honestly about her breast cancer this year, the reconstruction, the tests, where she is now, the impact on her family, and to be honest, she was very pragmatic, and it was one of the things we got into a discussion about. But, as always, these things are a learning curve, and Lindsay certainly shared a lot, and it taught me a lot, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. Good morning, and thank you for inviting me. That's right. And sorry for that pause there, people. Um, I actually suddenly forgot who I was for a second. <laughs> really? <laughs> I Probably not. Yeah. I was just like, I, I went, good morning and welcome to oh, the David Watson podcast. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had this little disappearing moment where I was just like, what am I doing? So, <clears throat> yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. I've been talking about this on Instagram this morning on my story feeds because um, quite literally... Um, this is going to be in the category of the menopause podcast that I did in the sense of I have no real life experience of what we're about to talk about. So I don't know. I don't actually know what questions to ask. I don't know what to say. I don't. Luckily, you and I get on well, so <clears throat> I don't mind. I don't feel uncomfortable that I feel clumsy, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it's probably best if I just let you explain what we're going to talk about. Well, as you know, because it came up in conversation, um, yeah. I've had breast cancer this year. Um, so yes, not only have I been locked down <laughs> and, and found myself in the middle of a pandemic, um, I also had, I don't like to say had to go through my breast cancer journey because I actually see it as a complete gift. But I began my breast cancer journey and in fact it didn't really start this year if i'm really really honest david um i did find a lump in my left breast about this time last year a little bit earlier than this time and it was like oh, this time of year is really busy now i have it's my son's birthday at the end of october it's halloween it's my daughter's birthday in november and then boom we're into christmas and i was like oh, i must i must call the doctor i must call the doctor and um, the universe knew that it needed to assist me. So because of my age, um, I received a letter in December inviting me to a mammogram because of my age. I, Excellent. I don't have to do a single thing. It'll all be fine. And I really wasn't worried about the lump at all. I'd, I've had you know, a lump before. You go to the doctors, they have a feel about it and they go, yeah, it's fine. It's fatty. It's this, it's that and the other. It's nothing to worry about. And I was kind of on. I, that's where I thought I was at. So I really wasn't that worried. Yeah. I laid back about it. And I went off to have my mammogram, which I always say, you know, I had in the van in the car park, which is true. There's <laughs> a van in the car park and off you go. Which is, you know, you couldn't make that sound more seedy, could you? <laughs> it's literally no word of a lie. It is a van in the local car park. <laughs> and it just at their very best. Okay, so off I went. They said, is anything you really need to know? And yeah, I've got this um, lump on the left side. It's okay, had that done. It literally takes seconds. You're in, out, and off you go, and you wait for your results. 
but there was something and I knew it was going to come back and there was going to be something else that would have to happen. I hadn't decided that I had breast cancer. That was not on my radar, really. But I just had this feeling that it was not going to be, it's just a lump, it's nothing to worry about. Um, and sure enough, the letter came back and I, and I did hand it to my husband and go, I told you. And I had to go to Southampton Hospital to have um, some further tests done. So they take a sample and you know all sorts of weird and wonderful things happen to you and they look at them again and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had to wait for those results. So this, the, the mammogram itself was in January and I actually went and had some more testing done in January and then was waiting for my results, which basically said, yeah, this is, um, uh, they, they were pretty sure it was an in situ carcinoma, which basically means it's the cancer in a lump, right. which if you're going to get breast cancer is a bloody good one to have. Okay. Let's be honest, because it means they can take it away. Job done. Everything's good. So there's like a tier system for breast cancer. There is very much a tier system. And it's an interesting tier system that you get into and they, you know, you keep wanting to have the best case scenario. Mm. And I never seem to get the best case scenario, if I'm honest. Um, so, yeah, um, I had to have the lump removed. And what they do is they take what they call a margin. So what they're doing is they're taking a lump away and the margin away so that they're removing all cancer cells. Unfortunately, I still had cells on the very edge, which meant I had to have another biopsy, if you like, where they went back in um, and took more away. And then you wait for the results again. Remembering this is all in lockdown, so nothing happens very quickly during lockdown. No. <clears throat> Every time I go to the hospital, you know, it's kind of, I have to go on my own, you can't take anyone, which, to be honest, it's quite nice. <laughs> When you're stuck in the house with your husband and two kids and you've got nowhere to go, because this is lockdown version one where, you know, the, it was a stay at home. Yeah. So my mum kept saying, shall I drive you? I'll sit in the car. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Honestly. Obviously, when I went for the first operation, um, she had to drive me because yeah. I was under general anaesthetic and I had to be picked up. But that was fine. But I did have to go and have a second one. So I had the first one done in March, in that very first week, just before, I think it was, when he locked us down. Um, so I had to go and have that one. And then the second biopsy, I think, was a, it was in May, beginning of May. Again, it was general anaesthetic, so I had to be dropped off. But again, you know, I didn't have any overnight stays. And by then, I was beginning to think, they're really good at giving you odds. Right. I love a good odd. Do you know when they say, you know, we've got a 60% chance of this happening? And I remember um, when I went in for my first operation, he said, you know, you've got a, a 30, 70% chance, you know, 30% chance that we'd have to bring you back in. And I was going, 70%, I'm taking those odds. Yeah. Yeah, and I had to have another operation. So just before um, he took me down to theatre and he came and spoke to me, my amazing consultant, he said, You've got a 50-50 chance of having to have another operation. At that point, I thought, I am having another operation. Okay. It, I'm done for. My odds are getting worse by the minute here. Um, and it was really interesting because each of these operations has been further into lockdown. So each time it was different. Yeah. Um, and after my second operation, um, I decided that I wouldn't drive down to the hospital. I, I would have my results over the phone and I was quite happy to do that. And I could have my husband with me. 
um, and lo and behold, they'd found more cells. So that basically meant I had two options. I could have another biopsy. David, I've got to be honest with you. I am very small chested. <laughs> so at this point, I was thinking, now, if he takes any more, there is not going to be anything left. This is not where I thought the conversation was, was going to go. <laughs> No, but you know, I've got to be honest. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, I, I, I genuinely appreciate it. But, you know. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Like but I said, no, this I... is a clumsy moment for me. So I'm, hence the reason I've shut up a lot. Honestly, I've shared this conversation with so many people. Just relax, David, and enjoy the journey. <laughs> so at that point, I was a bit like, okay, so I can have another biopsy. Um, or I can go straight to mastectomy, which is yeah. removal. Um, and I, I did say to him, I said, William, what's the chances of having a biopsy? <laughs> and what will happen? He said, if you have a biopsy and we find cells, you're at mastectomy anyway. I went, do you know what? Let's just skip that. Yeah. We'll go straight to um, a mastectomy. Um, and you know, then, we, then you have to talk about reconstruction. Do you want it? Do you want it? And, and that's, that's when the journey for me kind of got harder, which was really interesting. Up until then, my dad battled um, throat cancer for three years and he was just this most amazing man through the whole journey. And, and he just took every day as that day. Yeah. And every time he had to make a decision, he just had to make that one decision. He didn't think past it. He didn't think longer than. And I'm obviously way more like him than I thought, because that's kind of the approach I was having all the time. You know, we've made that decision. I'll wait for my appointment. It might be a bit longer. You know, it was all quite laid yeah. back. Um, but now it was starting to get really real. It wasn't just about going in and having a, a little light, you know, going to hospital and reading my book till they took me down and then someone picking me up and having 24 hours not at my desk. Yeah, tea and biscuits. Um, it, this was quite serious. This was going to, you know, you know, this was different. Um, so I did decide to go for the mastectomy and reconstruction. And uh, like I said, my consultant has been amazing. Cause I was like, oh, what do I do? He's like, you're really thin. I don't think that's the exact words. He's like, slim. He said, so yeah. um, a reconstruction after the event is much more challenging and may not be possible. Oh. So, okay. He said, but also we can't do reconstruction right now because it was kind of considered plastic surgery. Yeah. So there was no plastic surgery. It was locked down. No, this is, this is, it's not going to happen. So um, I would have to wait. So I did say to him, you know, that classic line, what would you do? And of course, uh, you know, you ask a medical person that question they get, and they immediately go, I can't tell you what to do. He was amazing. And he said, if you were my sister, I would tell you right now to have a mastectomy, but I would tell you to wait so we can do the reconstruction at the same time. So that's good enough for me. He said, do you want us to think about something? So I made all these massive yeah. decisions in like a 10 minute conversation. We're just doing this. Well, I'm a bit like that. You've got to make a decision. The longer you, you, you think about it, the harder it becomes to make a decision. Yeah. So I just felt that that was a really good decision. And in fact, at one point I was going within this 10 minute conversation, I was off from a sex me and I didn't care about the reconstruction. I'm flat chested. It's not going to make that much difference. <laughs> but it was my husband who was saying, you may regret that decision. You don't know how you're going to feel afterwards. And right now you have the opportunity to have both done and then it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
because potentially you could have a mastectomy, change your mind and reconstruction would not have been available to me or would have been very challenging. So I was like, okay. Uh, and let's face it, this is not a man that likes big boobs because, you know, he married yeah. me. <laughs> so it wasn't about size matters at all in this case. It was more about how are you going to feel? Um, but it did mean, so I was making all these decisions in May and he said, well, I don't know when I'm going to be able to do this operation. So then I had to go on to the tamoxifen drug, which is um, an anti, well, it, 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 the hope is, in the easiest way to explain it from a non-medical person to every non-medical person that's probably listening, they hope that the drug stops the cells from doing anything. Okay. So it's like an inhibitor. Yeah, kind of says, you know, let's hope they don't do anything else. Because what you don't, you know, for my, in my case, the, at that point, we, they were still quite, you know, in one place. They weren't moving. Yeah. And that's what you need to do. You need to keep the cells so they're not moving. In my head. I have to keep things simple, David. In my head. Yeah. <laughs> so I did go on to Um And I had to just sit back and wait. Um, but meanwhile, David, all these books kept arriving from these really, you know, and at Sir Hansen, they have the most amazing group of cancer care nurses. And they were sending me all these wonderful booklets telling me about mastectomy and reconstruction. And I, you know, I'd, I'd read a little bit. And to be honest, I didn't want to know. Yeah. A bit like childbirth, David. I had the books. I read to a certain part. I didn't want to know. As far as I was concerned, I was going to be in hospital. The midwife would tell me what to do. That's all I needed to know. It's got to come out. That's all I needed. And I'm a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just like my dad. Yes, I need to know. I need to, you know, I've got to have an operation. Fine. I don't need to know what you're going to do. I, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my mum's completely different. She's an ex-nurse. She wants to know the ins and outs of everything. Me, I was kind of like, so I think I was reading a little bit too much in these books because then I was starting to get really panicked. Because, and I, this is no fault of the NHS. This is no fault of my consultant. This is totally pandemic related. Yeah. I suddenly felt like I was lost. Actually, I can only, I can only bring that to the fore, if you like, and that's only a realization as I'm talking to you. I suddenly felt really lost because the hospital couldn't tell me when my operation was going to be. They could send me the documents. And I could ring them at any time. But suddenly I, would, I felt like I was on my own. Yeah. Reading these books, finding out there were actually, you know, at least five different ways that they could do a reconstruction that might mean taking fat from behind to bring it to the front from over here and under there and from your bum and from your thigh. I mean, suddenly I was like, oh my God. And when you get reading, it's like five days in hospital or, you know, overnight, two to three days. Suddenly there were all these options. Yeah. And I was like, well, at one point, I remember it being in the kitchen, starting to get really upset. And my husband's taking these books away and going, I think you've read enough. <laughs> I, don't think you, you know, I don't think you quite know what you want to do, except I needed to move away from the books. And he was quite right, because they're not helpful. They weren't helpful to me at that point. But was that just be just because of the pandemic situation, because it, it's like overload with information being absorbed, but nobody you can actually ask questions 
or go and see and discuss? Or do you think I, it was I, the reality of what was happening? I think it was the reality because um, it was kind of, there's always like this, it's a two week thing. So um, I had gone to the, to the van in, in the car park. <laughs> two weeks later, I had a letter. Does the van have a proper name? I think the breast cancer screening. screening. Mobile. It's more like a lorry, to be fair. Yeah. It's the breast screening cancer unit or something like that. The mobile one. The mobile yes, breast cancer that's screening the one. But to it's call not it, it's a... really a van in a cop. <laughs> Get that out there. But, <laughs> and 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 to that point, everything seemed to have like a two-week cycle. So you have your mammogram, you get your letter, you go and have your biopsies, you get your results, you would be called to everything in that first stage up to that first biopsy if you want when they remove the lump it was pretty much two weeks two weeks two weeks two weeks and then um so that was the beginning of april the next operation wasn't to the first of may so immediately everything is starting to slow down um and then from having that operation the first of may waiting two weeks for my results so now we're in the middle of may i suddenly had no idea when my next operation would be they couldn't tell me. All they could tell me was reconstruction was not possible. Now, if I'd gone for mastectomy only, I would have been in the hospital in two weeks and I would have had it done. Yeah. So that there is like, it feels like there is like a two week cycle to everything that you do. But suddenly I was in this place where part of what I saw as my treatment being the reconstruction was not considered part of my treatment and so that's what slowed the process down and it, it, they just weren't doing that kind of work <clears throat> that, that's just so there was also some other things in that um so hampton has a number of hospitals um so to see my consultant i was going to the princess anne hospital which is an amazing hospital that's where all the babies are born it's where all the gynae works you know so they're 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 geared for women yeah um so my first operation the care and everything was amazing absolutely amazing the second operation they'd stopped operating at the princess anne so i then went to the south hans so my journey was already starting to get more complicated. So my mum was dropping me out of a hospital that even she didn't know where it was. And she was a nurse that had trained at the general hospital in Southampton. So suddenly we were going to a hospital, we didn't even know where it was. I didn't know where to go. There was nobody there. This hospital really was like a ghost town. I had to have my temperature taken. I had to show, you know, my documentation. I, I, was, show, you know, I was told where to go. These hospitals were suddenly empty. And that was quite eerie in itself. And then yeah. I was on a ward where they weren't used to doing the kind of operations that, you know, um, I was having. And interestingly, I have to tell you this, when I um, had my first operation at the Princess Anne, um, there were three, remember this is start of lockdown. So there were four of us, one went in the morning, then there was myself and another lady and another lady who was having a massive operation. I got to talk to her later. I mean, she was just inspiring. She was having a huge amount of things done. But the lady next to me was an older lady. And she was having the same as me. So, yeah, you can hear the conversations and stuff. And I kind of got to talk to her a little bit. When I walked into the South Hans, I heard them say behind me, oh, follow that lady. She's going to the same place. And I turned around and I went, don't follow me. I've got a clue where I'm going. And then I looked at her and I went, you were in the Princess Anne Hospital, weren't you, back in March, having an operation. She went, you were next to me. I went, yeah. I was. And I was on this journey with this other lady. Yeah. 
And then I got to spend another day in a bed next to this amazing lady. And at the end of it, I said, um, I said, are you going to the Princess Anne for your results in May on this day? She went, I am. I went, okay. I said, I would love to see you on that day. I said, but I do not want to see you again. She said, Same for you. <laughs> she said, I do not want to see you again like that. And it was this is a real sort of camaraderie about it. What is also been quite fascinating is um, as I started my journey, lots of people said, I know someone that's been through it. I mean, it comes out of the woodwork. People are starting to send you comments that make you realize they've been here. They've been through this journey and you had no idea. And I was being offered people to talk to. And each time I just kept saying, no, no, thank you. It's fine. And part of that is because I'm quite an independent, stubborn mare. And I'm, I'm going to do this and it's going to be fine. And, and, you know, I had lots of amazing people around me anyway. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk. Just like my dad. I don't want to know what everyone else has done. I don't want to hear about <laughs> the operations. Just want to focus on one day at a time. And then after I'd had my mastectomy, um, other people have come up and are starting their journey. And each time I've reached out and said, if anyone wants to talk to anyone, I'm here. And not one of them has taken me up on that offer. And I truly believe that is because breast cancer, and I can only talk about breast cancer, but I imagine every cancer is the same. No journey is the same. No treatment is the same. No um, steps are the same. <clears throat> Nothing is the same. It's I, so personal. I have a different theory. Oh, tell me. You know, a few weeks ago, I did that podcast about the menopause. Yes. I sent a message to every single woman on my, basically my Facebook account. And I was surprised by how many women I knew. And, and we are talking, I think I sent over 100 messages to people saying you should watch this podcast, it's really important. I had about four people reply. And one of the things Carola and I spoke about with women, which you and I have joked about in the past, is you don't like talking about things that are personal. I agree. <clears throat> if you, I, do you know what I mean? It is. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, we're not very good. I mean, that is... Um... I mean, I was genuinely shocked. I, I was genuinely like, do you, and, and the same would apply for this, but I'm not going to message people because of what happened last time, because it's like, do you realize how bloody important it is that you guys pay attention to this? Do you know, I mean, it's, look, the, the only reference I can go as a bloke, right, is 10, 15 years ago, they started talking about testicular cancer. So every sportsman, act, male actor, football player, whatever, was all doing adverts about, guys, you, you need to start checking for lumps in your, in, yeah. in, in, in your testicles. And we all started doing it. And we all started talking about it. And every male public figure out there talked about why it was important. They all got on board with the campaigns. They all started talking about it. And we all started talking about testicular cancer. And, and yet... I, women are, I know for me, I felt I didn't want to speak to anyone else who had been on the journey for the very reason, you know, I, I like to deal with here that. and now, this yeah. is the moment, but I also have <clears throat> the most amazing <clears throat> friendship groups. Yeah, for sure. And I had 
the most tremendous support from the minute you know the, the very first minute when I said I've got to go and have some you know some more tests done and I felt loved and I felt protected and I knew that I had these women and one of the things I would say in my life that I have never been good at asking for help and support and what coronavirus and this pandemic and this journey that I have been on I finally got really good at reaching out and really good at for asking for help and more importantly accepting help when it's offered yeah so I felt quite supported i also wonder if there's something around i don't know you know men talk about you know testicular cancer and you know, you know there are all the you know, there are lots of jokes you know my son you know quite happy to run around waving his willy at the world you know it doesn't change when he grows up trust me no no and, and i think just, just for the record i don't run around in public <laughs> my willy at the world I think we need to take him I'm so glad you added that bit. But and I'd just like to say he's only nine. Um, but he's you know, it's those kind of things. I think that is more open and it's not, but women we're quite it's really interesting at the moment. There's a lot about um you know, women are not going for their smears. Um, and you know, we've only got to look at um Jade Goody and that campaign. Yeah. And you know, after she um went through her journey and sadly lost her life the number of women that went for smears shot up but then we stopped talking about it and we stopped making it obvious and you know or, or making it something that we talk about and i think that's just because we as women are not particularly good at talking about our bits where men are really good at talking about our bits well, we're obsessed by we're obsessed by your bits and we're obsessed by our own <laughs> so, I mean, we need to share so the obsession it's so interesting you should say that because um, my reconstruction is an implant. And, you know, when it first happened, I was a bit like, oh, it's not kind of what I expected. It's not what I get. And my husband's like, that's normal. Because you know, obviously he's been out with women who have you know, yeah. fake moves, obviously, because, you know, I was like, I'm not sure this is right. And he was going, it is, don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, I'm glad one of us has got some experience and some knowledge, because I'm not sure I have. But yeah, I'm not sure they're great. And I just think, like I said, I mean, your journey is so personal and how you're going to feel and how the next person is going to feel is, is completely different. And that's because I think particularly with boobs, we all feel differently. Now, I, I said at the beginning, I'm really flat chested. So, you know, I wasn't that bothered about reconstruction. And it was only when I was reading those booklets um, and this is quite personal to share, David, so I'm really sorry in advance. No, no, please. But I suddenly realised that I might not have a nipple. Right, yeah. And so the going from this woman that was just really quite okay with her journey, okay with having vasectomy, it was all okay. I just went to pieces. Yeah. That for me was huge and scary and suddenly it was like I, I'm not sure how I'm gonna feel and when I went for my appointment with my consultant two weeks before my operation when I finally said look I said so are you clear on what's happening I was like no I've got a load of books what are you doing where are you taking this problem what yeah. are you creating you have nothing to take on your bum your thigh or anywhere else this is an implant and I was like but what about the nipple and he said 
I will do my best, he said, but you need to prepare to wake up and for it not to be there. And I just remember bursting into tears, which is really hard when you've got a mask, you know, no, 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 you're in a hospital, you a mask on, your glasses on, everything else. It's like, oh, this is horrible. And it's really interesting how it's, the, where that might not bother the next person. And I think that, that's what I'm trying to get across about this, this journey in this so personal and what feels huge to me won't feel huge to somebody else. And Is there and, a possibility, sorry to cut you off, is there a possibility well, that where you initially, just, just because of your general outlook on life, <clears throat> which is very sort of stoic, stiff upper lip, you know, to, to be fair, you wouldn't be much of a coach if you weren't able to see silver linings. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so was it a sense of inevitability that as you got closer to the deadline, that the emotions that would, would have been running subconsciously and the isolation, that loneliness, the, the books, was actually starting to come out? <clears throat> Just expressing no. itself differently. No, it's so interesting because <clears throat> I was, um, so at the beginning of March, I signed up with a brand new business coach because um, uh -huh. I always like to have one, obviously, as yeah. I rightfully should. Um, and it was the biggest investment I ever made. And I was like, that's fine. I've got the first instalment. Everything else will come. I trust that everything else will come. Then we got locked down. And I was like, how, how is it? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. So... I doubled my income and doubled my profit during lockdown and my cancer journey. And I believe that is for many reasons, but one of them is because I finally had the sign that while I teach and talk about slowing down and doing less and all of those things, and I, and I was doing that because I practice what I teach, Suddenly I realized I had to really focus on what was important and I had to really focus on less because at any time I didn't know what was going to happen in this journey. Yeah. At that point, all I knew was I had one operation coming. I had no idea what was coming, none whatsoever. I also believe it was because I'm very good at setting an, attention, an, an intention. So when I went for my first operation, which is under general anesthetic, it was a very short one, but general anesthetic, I was there for a day. I told everyone that I was going in, I went in on the Wednesday, I'm having Thursday off, and I will be back at my desk on Friday. And they all went, don't be so ridiculous. You're mad. You've had a general anaesthetic, da 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 da. And I, so I just, no, sorry, not having it. And I went in on the Wednesday. On Thursday, I couldn't have done any work if I wanted to. I was high as a kite. I just about made, managed to make a batch of scones with my son because I wanted to do something with him. And on Friday, I was back at my desk. Second operation, I set the same intention. Someone did say, now you're going to have two general anaesthetics in a very short period of time. So as I, okay, I'm having my operation on a Friday. I'll be back at my desk on Monday. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was. And then with this next bigger operation, I, I had realized that you know, there were, I had, it was big. Um, so I'd booked a week out and then I booked a slow week, which was really funny because when I left the hospital after having my mastectomy, so the next morning, I was given a sick note for four weeks, which just made me laugh. It's like, who am I going to give that to? I yeah, that, that's, just, that, that's the first thing that popped to my mind. Who the fuck do you give that to? No idea. You're self-employed. Like, I looked just... at her and I went, 
do you pin it like put it under the fridge magnet so you can see it for I don't yourself? Know what I've done. I think I've kept it actually somewhere. I looked at it and I said, should well, frame I it a week off. Yeah, I have booked a week off. I'm like, oh, I, and I couldn't, you know, there was a dry and was horrendous. Um, but actually, I was bored senseless by the end of the week. The second week, I did have to ease it back in. But I do believe it's about setting that intention. And because I was really good at, at leading up to that third operation, it was about always setting the intention. It was always about focusing on the here and now, what I could control, yeah, what I could give my attention to. It was only really these very odd things that, you know, like the loss of nipple that was really starting to freak and it was literally freaking me out. Um, and I think I've better understood that since because um, my surgeon loves disposable stitches and glue. Brilliant for glue. It means you can get straight in the shower, no waiting around. Glue it up, it'll be fine. <laughs> so, you know, I was able to have a shower. But what's really interesting is that for weeks afterwards, when you're showering and you look down, it still catches you. It still takes your breath away. Um, I'm, I, it's well, it's also still blue, and that's not from bruising um, because I had to have some. What do they call it? Some um, some medicine that turns yeah. your self blue. <laughs> so I'm still blue. Still blue now. It's three months later, kind of thing. So I think there's a lot. For so, me, it was catching those moments when it takes your breath away. And what I've learned is when those moments come, you lean into those moments and you accept them for what they are. Can I? Sorry. Because <clears throat> you've just said something that I, I just never thought about, right? For, for obvious reasons, I wouldn't think about it. I would have assumed, and I'm going to try and do this without being too clumsy, but I'm not sure how I'm going to do it without being clumsy. Just say it, David. Yeah, no, I'm going to. I'm just excusing myself first. I always assumed that, like, literally, when you'd had the reconstruction, like you're saying you're in the shower, because you're going to look down, and I would have, I would have thought you'd have seen the same breast. I wasn't. If it, if the nipple is in place, if you've had the reconstruction, because that must be weird, like like. <clears throat> Because whatever age you are, if something's suddenly missing or different, it's a complete, it's alien by de by definition. Definition. <clears throat> okay. So. And that, that's sorry, that's sorry, because that then yeah. must be very. I, I'm trying to put myself in that sort of place because that would be, when when it comes to feeling attractive, feeling beautiful, feeling like a woman. Or, or, do you know what I mean? Whatever that you know, like that that part where you were talking about. Oh, hang on a second. If I don't have my nipple, something suddenly changed, right? Is yeah, and and I, it's actually blue. But <laughs> do you know what I mean, I just had to write down that's from the nuclear medicine. I had nuclear. I was surprised I wasn't glowing, let alone yeah. bloody blue. But do you know what I mean? Because that actually must be. I can imagine not for everybody, but for some people that, that I can imagine that that would be literally soul destroying i consider myself so um since all this has happened i've now turned 53 so i consider myself very lucky to have had my breast cancer when i have you know my days of topless sunbathing are over my days of strutting around the house naked are probably over i'm not going night clubbing and having to you know worry what somebody you know i'm not forming new and i'm married i'm not forming new relationships with people and having to worry about what they would think or what they will say or how it will feel so i consider myself pretty lucky because i think that's a whole yeah you know, a different ball game but that looking down it is so the best way i can explain it so I basically, when 
he said to me, now I don't know what he measures it in, but when I went for my follow-up appointment, he was very happy that day. He was obviously giving out great news to every woman he was seeing. He was in a very good mood. He said, and I took out 170 from this side and I put in an implant of 180. Well, in my head, I'm immediately thinking, well, that's bigger than the other one then. Um, because he's <laughs> great, I'm now cancer free. Little bit concerned, I'm not, and you know, women tend to have one that's bigger than the other anyway, but not like this. So yeah. I don't know whether they measure it in fluid ounces, grams, I haven't a clue. So anyway, I was already thinking, okay, and I said, my husband said, look, it's all got to settle down. You know, it's going to be swollen, let it all settle down. <laughs> okay. But if you can imagine, well, I don't know if you can, David, but just imagine. I'm sure I'll, man I'm sure I'll manage, to be fair. <laughs> well, actually, you can see, so you have like this kind of bra cup. Yeah. So on this side, now with this implant, I feel that beautifully. I may not have a nipple and I may have a huge scar across the middle, but I feel, a, my, I feel my old bras beautifully. Right. This side, no. This side is still lovely and baggy. <laughs> not because I bought the wrong size. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Gravity. You know, it's gravity, but I had two kids, blah, blah, blah. So they, are, they do look different. In fact, um, I have an appointment. The, the next appointment with your consultant is when he looks at his fine work and we talk about, because you, you, know, you can have a stick on nipple. You can have a nipple reconstructed. You can have no nipple. I'm, personally, I, I'm, interestingly, I'm not interested in having one reconstructed, reconstructed, which is really interesting now I'm kind of over it. Um, I don't want to stick on one because I've just got this image of it falling off or something. <laughs> just disappearing just down to one side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Just wear a padded bra and no one knows. It's fine. So I'm kind of over that. So I don't need a stick on. Um, I, d I don't need. And you can have them tattooed. Oh, my God, they do the most amazing tattooed nipples. I've started following all these amazing people on Instagram. And it's like 3D. You never know. Just yeah. looking, you would never know that it's not real. And I think... So maybe that's an option because I, you know, I'm, I have tattoos, so that might be an option. Yeah. But I think more for me, in that, and I, I just feel I'd like them to be balanced. I'd like them to look a little bit more simple, because that's when you look down and I can see it. Yeah. Now other people probably cannot see it, but it's about me, and I'm not saying that um, you have to have perfect boobs to feel great. I'm not saying that I have to have perfect perfect boobs to feel great but actually i want perfect boobs to yeah feel great. So i don't need them i want them and that's a whole different ball game but it is important um, though isn't it because yeah. <clears throat> with everything that that this that you've gone through with this with the reconstruction and even with the positive outlook there, there were some moments where it was kind of overwhelming yeah. and and a bit feel, fearful that's and it. like you said you know you, you were lucky because of the support groups, but there were still moments where it felt that you were very much on your own. So <clears throat> whether it's because you want it, need it or whatever, it's the fact that you notice it. Yeah. And I think if, if you like on a, on a daily basis, if you notice that, then that's why you, you need some kind of balance for want of a better term. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Where, well, actually, Maybe I do need to do something. Maybe this does need to be changed. Maybe, you know, it is. And it's okay. And, and I think it's okay 
not to want anything. What's interesting yeah. is on <clears throat> my 10 year plan, I'm looking up there, it's not out there anymore, but I would do a 10 year plan. And on one of them, one of the rewards, I don't know what year it was, <clears throat> I was going to get a boob job. I've always said I wanted to. Well, be you're halfway there now. Well, I, I now joke and say I've always wanted a boob job, but I didn't want half of one. Yeah. And I didn't want one because of breast cancer. You know, I would have liked it to be a choice. But I, I have to say, David, I think my my sense of humour, um, my ability to see the good, and that's not always been the case, David. Like, you know, you and I yeah. have had lots of very open. We have had very yeah deep conversations. Um, life has not always been this way for me i have not always been in this space of positivity and of stepping into who i am and owning who i am and being confident in who i am that has not always been the case yeah. and it's been a very long journey um <clears throat> but I, I kind of feel that this breast cancer has taken me up another level if you like it's yeah. it's it's really um i was always really strong about my mission in my business. It is to elevate, to guide, to inspire women to fulfill their greatest not potential. Not, not the potential they're letting come out. Not, you yeah. know, because we dumb down everything. Uh, it, it's that, that real desire, the truest desire. And I want to uh, work with women to enable that to happen without sacrificing evenings, weekends, relationships, health. And I am even more passionate about that today than I was and I think that's because of my breast cancer journey and you know I, I, I'm very and I can't, what's, I'll share something I keep saying this to my husband and he says what is wrong with you <clears throat> I'd love to know if you think the same I keep saying that I feel a bit of a fraud and this is really interesting because while I was in the journey I felt, yeah, I loved the support I was getting and I felt really good and I, and I knew I was on this journey and I felt like I was in this journey and it was okay for me to say that I had breast cancer. Now, you know, the mastectomy, fingers crossed, you know, I will always be cancer free on that side. Yeah. <clears throat> what happens on the other side is a whole different ballgame, but, you know, we have no signs to say there's going to be anything there. I said, but I feel a bit of a fraud because I'm now cancer free. How crazy is that, David, to go through this experience and to benefit in so many different ways and to have embodied it in so many different ways and come out the other side. And sometimes I have these moments of complete, where I feel a complete fraud. But is How it possible? I don't think that's mad at all because. Oh, thank God. <laughs> well, because it can kind of feel a bit like imposter syndrome, can't it? Because for you to enjoy or um, accept a label, whatever that label might be, we, we buy kind of definition, and I need to stop using that word, but we sometimes, we, we, we can be weirdly drawn to this, we have to earn it, we have to deserve it. And when, so one of the reasons it was making me so like, kind of like, how am I going to have this conversation with you about best breast cancer, is because of all of the stories I've heard. Do you know what I mean? And some of them are absolutely disastrous. Some of them are actually heroic and all of that. But if you don't feel that that label belongs to you, how do you accept that you, you're a breast cancer survivor? No, it's really interesting. I'm, there were several points during my journey when I'd have maybe results from the first time I did. I can't remember. There was a particular, I was like, I was photographing them and sending them to my friend who is a practice manager for a GP down in um, 
Devon. Now, as far as we're concerned, she's practically a doctor. Um, so <laughs> as I'm sending it to her, going, all the GPs are up and down the country, like, yeah, all the practice managers think that, and the, the bloody receptionists. So it's like messaging her, going, you know, does this mean anything? Can you work this out for me? Does it make sense? You know. And then I was the second time I went in for my operation. I was like, I don't understand because I've got all these notes and like you'll talk about breast cancer here and you. And she's like, Well, you are in the cancer pathway. You are going through your breast cancer journey. And we just talk about it in different ways. And I think from a health perspective, if you look at all my different notes, at times breast cancer is not mentioned. Yeah. But you can't really get to a mastectomy without having breast cancer, let's be honest. But, but this is the thing though, is it so like you say, it's you can when when that happens, there can be this element of what have I done to deserve this? Why me? Right. And then when you get to the end, right, if if you kind of haven't literally, if you don't feel like something's been robbed from you, that you have done something that deserves an honour medal, if you don't feel that, you're back to, well, why me? What have I done to deserve this? We, we, it's, it's that justification. I did think at one point, right at the very beginning, and I had um, a strategy session with my business coach. <clears throat> and I said, I'm wondering if I brought this on myself. <laughs> and that kind of goes, you know, I remember years ago um, watching a webinar of a woman who, you know, I'd been on her peripheral and really respected her. Um, and she told me how she'd made millions, she'd lost millions, she'd lost a house. And then yeah. I seem to be in this, suddenly once you start listening to one of those, everything you listen to is how much they've lost, mm. um, you know, how they've been at the depths of despair. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I know, you know, when, for those no, people, no. it is horrible. But, you know, when you're watching it, you're kind of like, oh, my God. And I was beginning to think that I just hadn't suffered enough. My the, success was not quite there because I had not suffered enough. Because <laughs> and all, boom, I got breast cancer. Yeah, but also, it's like, well, where was the cinematic music that, that built up to this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And the crescendo. Because yeah. that, that's the point. It's like you said, you, you, you find out and your world is supposed to implode. It's supposed to be absolutely disastrous. Yeah. And even in the middle of pan the pandemic and everything that was going on, <clears throat> Yours actually went relatively smoothly in comparison. You know? Oh, my God, David. Um, so you, there are, yeah. Yeah, do, do, do you know what I mean? But you're all in the same box. Yeah, and I, and I watch the news and there's a lot about breast cancer. And the yeah. Breast Cancer Awareness Month was in October. There is a huge amount around people who are not getting their treatment, who are not getting the diagnosis that they need to get. They're waiting for results. They're waiting for, um, you know, tests. And, you know, there are people who are going through their cancer journey and not getting the, the medicines that they need. They're not able to do their chemotherapy. And I look at it and I think, I have absolutely nothing to complain about. I have absolutely nothing. And that's to... why you feel like a fraud. I, I, yeah, perhaps, perhaps that's exactly it. Do you know what I mean? But I do think as well, and, and this, I, I need to be very clear, I'm not trying to bash um, any, any of the cancer charities or any of the cancer awareness or anything like that. But one of the things that's very difficult for them is to generate awareness that they have to sell 
the the downside, the danger. That mm. it's very difficult for them to generate absolute awareness where we need you to take this seriously and be concerned, and then f- try and sell you all the recovery c- cases that went smoothly and how much for some there was nothing to worry about. It's actually yeah. a really smooth running. Because if you sell that, well, then we're not going to scare anybody into taking care of themselves. So, so, no, I'm, so I'm the, not sure that's the right approach, in fact. I'd love but, to see. But the narrative has to, it does have to, in my opinion, the narrative does have to be we need to sell the fear to get people to be screened. Because you knew all of this, found a lump, and still ignored it. Because you weren't scared enough. I still ignored it. Because you weren't scared enough. No, and I, and I think <clears throat> and part of that was I'd been there before. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was just a fatty lump. Yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so th- the narrative they have to sell is incredibly difficult. Because if you hadn't had that letter, you probably wouldn't have had the lump checked. And you probably would still not have had it checked and it now might still be too late. I like to think that I would have. And the reason I can say that with a pretty good amount of confidence is um, my husband has an inoperable brain tumour. Yeah. Uh, and is registered. I think they call it severely sighted, which always makes me laugh because he's actually not got the sight. <laughs> <laughs> severely sighted. Well, I might have got that wrong. Well, because, yeah, because... Anyway, he's only got 25%. Let's do it that way. He's only got 25% yeah. sight. He's got tunnel vision. But, yes, yeah, severely sighted does sound weird because if that was an X-Man character, you'd expect them to be okay. able to look through... That's oh, severely Amazing. sighted. He can look through concrete walls. <laughs> Spot cancers from miles away. <laughs> and, so, you know, and he's got lots of other problems. You know, hips, yeah. knees, you know. To be honest... Um, you know, I married a younger one hoping that it was, you know, going to be a good Careful. Well, I just thought it was a good idea. But, yeah, I was really, I was really thinking how to say that. Um, but, so but I take it steady. One. Yeah, and, um, you know, actually, he's falling apart. But, so I like to think... And you didn't keep because... the receipt, so you're stuck. No, I didn't. I can't, go, I can't return him now. I couldn't return him now. It's too sad. So <laughs> I, I would like to think I would have done, because we, um, as a family, there are so many appointments and stuff that we do for yeah. him. And so, you know, when something's wrong, we need to get him seen really, really quickly. So I'd like to think that, you know, once I'd got that breathing space, I would have made that phone call. Because it would have just taken one phone call. It wouldn't have taken very much. For sure. But the breathing space may never have happened. Uh, I think it would have done. Well, my husband would have had a right go at me if I hadn't done it. Yeah. But but it's for another person. That wouldn't have happened. Yeah. For me, if, if... we could get any message across to men and women because men can also get breast cancer. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I I, I can't, you know, I'm not in the game, so I I don't, I couldn't, I'm not going to start spouting figures because I can't. No, no, no. Breast cancer, I mean, it's predominantly women, but men also get breast cancer. And I, I don't know if it's the same symptoms. I don't know if it could equally be a lump, but I think that would be. Um, so I've started something that I really can't finish. But no, one, no that's the okay. Trying, well, the <clears throat> message I'm trying to get across is the and having worked actually with a charity um, that worked across Europe, um, focusing on raising awareness about um, colon cancer. I'd forgotten that. I loved working with them. They were an awesome client. 
the same as anything. The sooner you get a diagnosis, yeah. the sooner they can help you, they can give you the treatment that you need, you can, um, whether it's extend your life, live your life, whatever it is, because sometimes the diagnosis, no matter when it comes, is not going to be great and people lose their lives to cancer and other diseases every day. But the sooner you go and ask for help, the better chance you have. And colon cancer is a perfect example. It is one of the most treatable cancers when it is diagnosed early. Yeah. And I don't, and I only know that because of the work that I did with them. There's probably more things I could spout actually about colon cancer than I can about breast cancer. But it's I a good message for cancer in general. For yeah, cancer I in general. Actually, it's the same with breast cancer. I think you probably find that breast cancer is another one that's highly treatable. Actually, as is um, cancer of the cervix, highly treatable when diagnosed early. So yeah, it's it's a good message for anything. Please, please. Yeah, but it's it's. I mean, it comes back to what we were saying uh, at the beginning. We don't talk about this thing, these things enough, and we don't ask for help enough. You know, now whether that's because we we don't want to know, we don't think it's going to happen to us, we think we're going to be okay, but it, it's just yeah. If and just if you have any suspicion, just go and get a test. Yeah, and and of course the message is coming out from the NHS right now. Still get in touch with your GP. They're still open for business and. That just made me feel a bit emotional. There, there will be people that will die of cancer because they have yeah. not got their diagnosis from COVID, because they've been scared to go, because they feel that the NHS is busy enough already, because they're scared of going into hospital and getting COVID. I couldn't have been safer in those three, because I went to three hospitals in the end. Yeah. The last one was, I actually had NHS treatment in a private hospital. Sandwich the next, you know, it was lovely. <laughs> Proper coffee and everything. I really well, without being cynical, as I understand it, private hospitals are just the same doctors on different pain scales, and uh, well, yeah. and, and, and when, when they switch over to so when you're actually having that NHS operation with that private doctor, it's well, he's actually just a private doctor that the NHS pay, <laughs> and when he's not with the NHS, should've... he's working privately. We uh, shouldn't knock the private healthcare system. No, no, actually, um, I don't well... think people. Sorry, this is what I'm trying to say. I don't think people understand. Some so, of the most advanced surgeons in the world that work on the NHS are actually contracted private doctors and surgeons. Yeah. They don't yeah. work in the NHS f when they can go so, and work somewhere else for five times the money. Yeah. But the, that, that's where the skill set is. And so yeah, the NHS, absolutely. and I know this because I work in head injuries. So sometimes the doctors we see are on certain days because actually they have a private clinic, private health yeah. clinic. And sometimes if they can't access the hospital that I would go and see them with clients, you would actually have to go to their private clinic. But it's the NHS think, paying for it. What was, I did, it was quite interesting actually, because at that time, because I, it was lots and lots of private hospitals opening up their doors yeah. to move these NHS patients through. And um, I, the, the Princess Anne, they still were not operating or they were still not doing reconstruction. Um, I'm not sure about the South Hans or the General, but I, I but, had to go to one of them. But again, this is unfortunately because of this pandemic. And again, you know, you and I have been very clear. We're not knocking people. We're talking about experience. But while we're promoting Save the NHS, people are not going to try and use the NHS. I know. And that, that's the narrative that's being promoted. 
save the NHS. Don't If you don't need to go to the hospital, if you don't need to see the GP, they're too busy. Whether they are or not isn't what we're debating. You know. But while that narrative, which is what we're saying, but it comes back to the cancer narrative, is do not take a chance. Go and get checked. You know. I, rem- I remember, and I can't tell you who the guy was, but it was on the news. And at the beginning of the pandemic, he said we will lose 50,000 additional cancer patients mm. during this time. And, and I think most, I think probably the debate at the time, if I think back, was around, well, how many COVID patients are going to die? Blah, 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 blah. Our numbers are rising daily. So I'm, I'm not sure whether what they, their argument was at the time was correct. But the fact is people are not getting diagnosed and not going to their GP. And I have been to my GP recently, twice, not breast cancer related. Um, And I couldn't have been safer in that GP surgery. I've been to three different hospitals and I could not have been safer in those hospitals. See, it's interesting on experience, isn't it? Because as I don't know if you know, but when I... During the summer, I cut my leg open down to the bone and ended up with 10 stitches, right? Just just me doing my den- general things, right? What were you doing? It, it, it's irrelevant, right? But for people, <laughs> for people that know me, they're just like, yeah, right? So, and, and this is a genuine discussion that my brother and I had, right? Is whether or not I should just tape it up and glue it, right? Because, you know, I, I've literally, in terms of stitches, I'm past half a century, right? For stitches, staples and stuff like that. I'm an expert at getting injured and hurt myself, right? And so anyway, long story short, when when I pushed it together and let it go and it just flopped open my leg, it's like, okay, this is me and my brother. And we're having this conversation in the garden, right? It's just like, I need to go and get professional help and probably stitches, right? It was definitely stitches. So I went up to the accident and emergency hospital uh, at Salisbury District Hospital, showed the guy this nice eight inch cut in my leg down to the bone and you could see the bone, right? At which point he said, we're closed because we're the COVID worn. You're going to need to go down to the front reception, blah, blah, blah. So I, I literally had a 10 minute walk all the way to where they were taking in minor injuries, which was one floor below the COVID section, but he wouldn't let me use the stairs because they're in isolation. So I think people's different experiences of the nhs currently are different and when it come to having to have my stitches out i couldn't get anyone to do it and i had to go to the walk-in clinic in salisbury because the hospital refused to let me go there the gps refused us couldn't do anything for three weeks and i was told i couldn't have them in that long so i had to go to the walk-in clinic and i have photos because this guy was just like i don't know why they keep sending people here we don't have anything to do that he managed to find a scalpel and those little circular plasters that you use to cover up needles when you've had an injection or blood taken. And I walked out with blood pissing out of my leg. And he then said after he'd removed the stitches, you should have had them in for at least another week because it's really deep. And I had these free plasters covering up the holes. And, and here's the funny thing, this can sound weird. When you've had as many stitches as I have, there's a certain feeling when they pull stitches out where you know it's okay. Right. So like when, when I had staples in my head and they, they were falling out and I was having to push them back in myself. Right. 
And it's the same with stitches. They can get quite loose when things start to heal, but this was still swollen and stuff like that. And I ended up having to go and buy my own Steri-Strips, bandages and stuff like that to keep my leg together because all the stitches had been removed by the GP because no, I couldn't get in anywhere for somebody to examine my leg after the 10 days was up. And he said, he said it should have been at least, at least 20 days. Why did he take them out? Um, because he didn't he kind of, he, he was, the bless him, he was just trying to be helpful because yeah. I'd gone through the list of all the di different departments that had said, no, we're not going to have you. I got and, bounced around Salisbury District Hospital on the phone for like two hours. I, I have to admit that while I have painted a wonderful picture of my breast cancer journey, um, I, I equally had some problems and they were not able to provide a district nurse to come out and see my wound. Yeah. They were not able to provide a district nurse to take my drain out. Um, there were quite a few things. And, uh, no, I won't say that. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what I was going to say later privately. Okay. Because well, <laughs> um, I do have a theory why, why it was so challenging. I, I think no matter... I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I also like to see things with a, an open mind. And I'm sometimes not sure that we appreciate what kind of day someone's had. Oh, look, going I'll, through. I'll be 100% honest, right? The only thing that really pissed me off about it was I had to queue for an hour and a half, right? Be because literally nobody could do it. And this guy said, look, okay, we'll do it. Right. But had I known it had been like that, I'd have just left it another week and taken them out myself like I had before. Talk to David. <laughs> when it's just like he I said, available. If, if you've had enough stitches, you just like over the years, do you know what I mean? You just like, oh, I'll just do it. When is it to, you know, it, it, you make an appointment and if you can't get an appointment quickly, you just like, that. I'll just take them out myself. It's fine. It's funny you should say that. Um, back in 2018, we sold our house and we had nowhere to live. So we all went and lived with my mum. Uh, so my husband and I uh, slept in the conservatory. My desk was in the conservatory and our kind of living space was in the conservatory. It's not as big as, you, as that sounds. Um, and my children shared a room for the first time ever next to my mum and we used their bathroom. Um, and during that time I had to have um, some small moulds removed underneath. Yeah. I've had loads of moulds removed. You and stitches, me and moulds. Yeah. Um, so I'd had them removed by the plastic surgeon up at the hospital. And then I went to the GP <clears throat> to have the stitches taken out. And uh, turned out, I think it was somebody I knew from school, although I didn't re recognise her. Um, and she was chatting away and telling me all that was happening in her life. I went home and I cleaned them up and I thought, there's a stitch left there. And because they're on your face, they're really tiny. Mm. So my mum was a nurse and she was a theatre nurse. So I figured she'd be able to do the job. <laughs> So I was like, Mum, have you got anything to take this out with? And sure enough, you know, she did find something and she was pulling it a little bit. There wasn't quite enough on it. I was like, why don't we get, um, what's his name from across the road? She's a receptionist at the GP. Let's see if she can come. Qualified. So Definitely qualified. <laughs> so she came over and she was trying to pull out while my mum was trying to, like, this is not working. And she like, just phoned it. So then I had to phone the GP surgery and they went, well, there's one left in. Yeah. And it's just about the time they were they were amalgamating all the GP surgeries. Yeah. So I managed to speak to someone at the surgery that I'd gone to for years and years and years. 
and I went, I've got a stitch. They went, come down, we'll sort it out for you, which they did. But that was, you know, so I, I so appreciate that stitches can be taken out by others. Yeah, no, well, uh, the, interestingly, he, he, he did a great job, but actually left some in there, which I found a few days later and then pulled out myself. But one of the things we haven't discussed, which I wanted to come back to, is because you are, in fact, a mother of two. And all of this is going on. How did you, how, what, what conversations, what's the topics, what's the, the discussion? So not, the ju- not just for your children, but from you as their mum. Yeah, at the time, one was 10. And, yeah, one's 10 and one's eight. <laughs> well done. I'm struggling there for a moment. Bit of a worry. Still not quite. I won't ask you their right. names. <laughs> Older one and younger one. You didn't even know your own name at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I think at some point we did sit them down and say, this is kind of what's happening. Um, you know. Do you know what, though? The kids are really resilient and really adaptable. They had enough of their own shit going on. They couldn't go to school. They were locked in. They couldn't go out, you know. They were on their iPads all day, which for some was a joy, because yeah. um, I still had to work, you know. They were living the dream, to be fair. <laughs> My son certainly was living the dream. Um, so we kind of made it not a big thing. Yeah. We made it really low-key um, and really easy. Well, and I, I'm not sure that they kind of thought anything else of it which was the way I wanted it. I didn't you, want it to be a big thing. I didn't want them to be worried about it. Do you think there's a possibility because that sometimes when we're faced with these things, we're much more pragmatic than we give ourselves credit for? Yeah, and I think you know, when you talked about how I'm, I'm very positive, I set great intentions and follow them through. And I was very upbeat about it and I was taking it one day at a time. And I think because I was in that frame of mind, it was really easy for the kids to be on. Okay, then. Yeah. The only thing, there's a couple of things that come out since then, sort of over time. You know, every now and then I, I do go, you know, the kids ask me to do something or my husband, and I go, I couldn't possibly do that. I've had breast cancer. <laughs> um, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm in terrible pain today. <laughs> and she did say to me the other day, my beautiful, beautiful, amazing daughter, Maisie. She did say to me the other day, she said, you do know that you cannot keep using breast cancer, don't you? <laughs> I can use it as long as I love Maisie, as long as I love it. It's my badge. I've earned it. <laughs> I've earned it and I'm wearing it. Yeah, and you and don't get to tell else... me when I can't use it. Exactly. And then something more recently happens. She went, oh, so-and-so is having a mole removed like you did. I said, I haven't had a mole removed. She went, yes, you did. I went... No, mate, I've had my old boob removed. I haven't had a mole removed. <laughs> so I think, you know, in their own heads, it was just so laid back. I'm not even sure they even understand. What is interesting, and I know I keep saying what is interesting, but I think as yes. I'm talking to you, there's some real light bulb moments yeah. for myself is right from the get-go. I mean, I've always been quite open about Maisie coming into the bedroom when I'm getting changed. It's not really bothered me. It's never really bothered me about Frankie, although I think as he's got older, I've probably gone, really, can you not wait? Yeah, it's a bit like once you become a parent, you know, you never get. But the, time there is that kind of yeah. But there is that natural thing with um, parents, especially mothers. It's like w- when children are a certain age, you don't have time to be bothered whether or not they're you're naked or not. Do, do you know no. what I mean? 
And then, like and you that... say, as children get older, there's a point where I think with daughters, it's not so important um, or no, or noticeable. But with boys, as they start getting older, mum starts saying, no, come on, mum, mum's entitled to some privacy now. Yeah, and it's not, to be honest, it's, sometimes it's just that I'd really like my bedroom to myself. Yeah. I'd just like to be able to get changed on my own. I, I am it. getting this selfish tone from you, yes. <laughs> and sometimes you just need some time alone. But <laughs> right from the beginning, from coming home, and once the drip was out and I was a bit more able to move around, I won't let Maisie come in until I've got something on my top. And I can't decide if that's because I don't want to frighten the shit out of her. Yeah. Because suddenly, you know, it's still blue and mum's got no nipples and that's a bit odd. Um, or whether um, that's about me and how I feel about it. Although, you know, I went to see my um, beautician the other day and haven't seen him. My beautician has been doing my waxing for over 20 years. You know? So we're quite open with each other, let's be honest. And I was talking about it and she was talking about her boob job that she's had for 20 years because, you know, that she chose to have it. And so she was telling me how it should feel, shouldn't feel. It was a very, very useful conversation. Yeah. And at the end of it, I went, do you want to have a look? She's like, yeah. And so I felt confident, able and really happy to show her. But I won't let Maisie in the bedroom when I'm naked. Now, mm. I don't know whether that will change for me as Maisie gets older a little bit and whether I think she can better understand and... Because I don't want her to be freaked out by it and start panicking about breast cancer. I want her to be aware, but I don't want her to be fearful. But do you think you're worried about what she thinks or how she, are you? I'm probably more worried about how she's going to react and go, oh my God, that's horrible. I mean, this is the girl that will quite happily tell me, you know, you know those words that mothers dread to hear. Are you going out like that? Like, yeah. I'm the mother, I can go out dressed like a hellbound. You going out like that. Your hair's not great today. You know, they're the words I kind of hear. Yeah. And I don't maybe it's more fear of she's gonna go, oh, that looks terrible. Which will be out of the mouths of babes, you know. But do you think that that's more I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm trying to say. Um is that maybe there is an underlying aspect of vulnerability. Uh not complete, not enough, and you don't want that reflected from your daughter, or just that she might have this really obnoxious reaction to like Jesus Christ, Mum. I think because I mean, it's the feminine femininity issue, isn't there? Yeah, and, and because of her age, she is changing very quickly yeah. before my own eyes. And I think for me, it's more about I I don't want her to see something and go, oh my god, that could happen to me, or. I don't want her to be scared or worried. And also, she's, she can be really squeamish and pathetic at times. Now, <laughs> my son, on the other hand, would come in and go, can I have a look? He'd have a look and go, that's cool, mum. What a great scar. Yeah. And run off again. He would not be bothered by it. Yeah. You know, so the one child I'm, you know, I'm protecting one child because she's a bit squeamish. The other child probably wouldn't even care. But are you more worried about what she'll think about you? No. No, mainly because um, her and I have a wonderful relationship. Yeah. We are so alike. We clash like goodness only knows. Um, and I think that's more about our, our relationship. We just have the, it's quite an amusing relationship. That's a whole different um, conversation, I think, in the relationship I have with her. And how, like, we've had so, so it's possibly just being protective. You I, just don't, I would like to think that you it's just, just don't need to be exposed to, to this. 
especially yeah, if she asked me yeah and wanted to see it i would show her um and she's got really good actually so she's like oh you can i come in she's quite when i'm getting ready i like to have some music playing you know and just like even get yeah. ready for bed i like to have some music playing she's like she quite often comes in and says can i come and sit on the bed and i'm i'm getting to the point now where i'm more likely to say yes more quickly i wouldn't say oh no i've just got to get dressed i wouldn't i don't go into that panic mode i go yeah, yeah and just put my top on or yeah and she's more likely to just open the door a little bit and go is it okay if i come in so i think that's about mutual respect and understanding so it's it's possibly more a reflection of she's shown no curiosity so there's yeah, no, there's no reason to bring it into the, do you know what i mean it's, it's not a, yeah. as such like it's you've not suggested it's off the table at any stage in time just to be clear no, no. it's just sure. like no but like because you actually are incredibly close but she's not shown any curiosity just like but then there's nothing to show is there no and we we, we are really alike it's why we clash all the time because i always want to have the final word I've another, I get to have I, I'm treading I'm incredibly carefully going. at this moment. I, I just, you know, just for reference, a woman telling me she wants to have the final word. Okay, it's like an echo chamber of my life. Um, I want to have the final word. And she wants to have the final word. My husband quite often just says, will you two stop it? And then we sort of both at which go point, off. Like, at which point you okay. both say yes or no, so you can have the final word. We just sort of head off with our heads down, feeling like they've both been told off. Yeah, so I think there's a number of things if she asked me i would show her with you know without show doubt, and i wouldn't hesitate to do that i don't think she's that interested she's that bothered she's more interested in her own life yeah i, I don't i don't and i wouldn't like to scare her and I, I don't want to instill any kind of fear and, and from the first when we first started talking to them about um what was happening uh, the the key thing for me is they were not to be frightened they yeah. were to be informed, we would give them as much as we wanted, we don't, they wanted or needed, we would answer the questions they have. But I did not, and I've said this to you before, I have never wanted my cancer to define me. No. And so it, it needed to be done in a way that it wasn't defining the family as well. So I think some of it is because of how we've dealt with it. Really. They're really, honestly, they're not bothered. No, I mean, but that's good though, isn't it? Because that's like you said, that's because... You know, there there will be you know parents on both you know mothers and fathers who who will be going through this, who have children, or have you know some somebody's going to wake up tomorrow and find out, oh I've, shit I've got cancer, and I've got yeah. kids, and like I said I've, and we sort of went into the narrative and why it's kind of essential in some respects, but I've only ever heard horror stories and and just for the record when I was fourteen I lost my nan to breast cancer, do you know what I mean? But it it turned out that she'd. But you got to remember that you know this is like the eighties as well. So there's some context to this. You know, um, it was the eighties. She had had already had breast cancer three years previously. <clears throat> there was an issue. She went back into Southampton three years later uh, with breast cancer. Died ten days later because of the circumstances. Um, there was an autopsy, and my nan was riddled with cancer. She was lucky to have been alive as long as she was, because it just. You know, it was the 80s, you know. So, and that's kind of st still the narrative that's told. So it's very difficult for people to, you know, like like you were saying, is you feel like a fraud. Do you know what I mean? Because, oh, I survived breast cancer. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, mm, I, I don't, 
like what i don't don't deserve surviving or i don't feel like i've had cancer i don't you know there's so many connotations to where you go down with those pathways and but for somebody who's just about to find out they're going to be holy shit fuck do you know what i mean and if you've got kids that quadruples tenfold because if you think you're going to be the one that dies parents are then dealing with kids you know and it's very difficult to be have any positive outlook on that especially if the only narrative you know is your hair's going to fall out and you're going to die i think that goes back to what i was saying at the beginning that no journey is the same yeah and every journey is totally personal to you and i can't I couldn't sit here and tell you, you must tell your children, you must make it really easy for them. You must, I couldn't do that because every child is different. And every relationship, mother and child, father and child is different. So there is no way I don't think of, or you, all I would say to anybody right now is, I mean, I, through my business coaching, I talk a lot about higher self, source energy, and you and I have talked about yeah. more of attraction, manifesting. And, but at the very heart of all of that is intuition. And I truly believe that over time, we have lost the connection with intuition. So I would say to anyone, start tuning in, start listening and feeling what's in your gut, because you know what to do. You know what, what to say. You just have to tune into it and allow it and trust that you know and trust that you will say the right thing. And from that place, you will be able to move forward, to, to do the right things, you know, to support your family, to support your loved ones, because you'll have done it from a place of heart. You can't get that wrong. And that's an amazing, wonderful place to stop. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.